0: Ecclesiastes chapter number five. We are journeying alongside the preacher as he is on this search, this quest for meaning in life. And so now we've arrived to Ecclesiastes chapter number five. We only have a few verses this morning uh, to, to hear from God from. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter. Number five, we'll read verses one through seven. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word. Um, If you'd like to follow along with this version, we will have it on the screen as well. As is our custom here at the Bridge Church, we stand in honor and reverence to God's Holy Word. And so if you are willing and able, we'd ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter number five, beginning with verse number one, says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with Your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry? at your voice, and destroy the work of your hand. For when dreams increase, and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may have your seat. This summer, my wife and I, had a date night in Kansas City, and while we were there in Kansas City, we had the opportunity and the privilege to hear some wonderful vocals and a performance by none other than Bruno Mars. Don't judge me, I love me some Bruno. When you get there, you go into this auditorium, this arena. They have all this huge screen with Bruno's logo and theme. All sorts of speakers and microphones. Lights. Camera. It's the whole work. And let me tell you, I had a good time on that night. Bruno did his thing. It was worth the money. Sometimes I just like reliving that memory because I love me some Bruno. It was a wonderful concert. It was a wonderful performance. The atmosphere was phenomenal. Again. The lighting was on point. The sound was uh, was fantastic. Loud, but fantastic. It was a show on par with the greatest of all time, in my opinion. It was Bruno Mars. The reality of being in that moment As ethereal as it was, in our day and age, in American church culture, sometimes worship feels more like a Bruno Mars concert than it does worship of most holy God. You can go to churches today and they can rival the performance and the environment that Bruno had in Kansas City. They've got the lights in every color, in every shade of that color. They know when to turn on the lights. They literally call it a production. All kinds of speakers and equipment. And and you cannot have a good contemporary church service without the fog machine. We've moved, we've transitioned from asking for that old-time religion to now asking for a showtime religion. We've reduced worship to lights and sound and equipment and fog machines. We will spare no resource to attract people to our show. These, these performances that are called worship rival you too the Foo Fighters and Bruno. And you can go to some churches on a Sunday morning and have a Super Bowl halftime show every week. Worship has become all about come and see us. Come and see the show and the performance that we put on. And you might get some God while you're at it. Worship, by definition, in a Christian setting, has nothing to do with man but worship. And worship, there is always an audience of one, and that one is most holy God. I wonder if the church in the book of Acts could thrive in our society today. They didn't have the buildings. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the lights. They didn't have the sound equipment. They didn't have the best location, location, location. I'll tell you what they did have. They knew how to pray and they knew how to call on the Lord and rely on the Holy Spirit. The things that we do in worship now are some of the most irreverent things that man could imagine. And today, the preacher helps us. He, he, He urges his listeners and us to worship God in his house with reverence. Let's walk around this text. The first thing that the preacher said that if you're going to worship God reverently, you've got to be careful in how you approach God. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Before we get to the imperative in verse 1, the command of verse 1, let me show you something. Before we get to the command, notice that the preacher assumes that his listeners actually go to the house of God. Preach, Brandon, I'm doing my best. Worshiping corporately for the preacher is assumed rather than commanded. Why? Because those who believe in God, those who worship God, worship God not just privately, but publicly. Hear me. Our mission here at the Bridge Church is to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. Fully devoted followers of Christ gather regularly to worship God. It is not something Corporate worship is not something that is entered into haphazardly or irregularly. For the preacher, he he assumes that his people know that corporate worship is a priority of the fully devoted follower of Christ. For, For the fully devoted follower of Christ, corporate worship is a regular routine and rhythm for a disciple of Christ. Let me see if I can make you real mad now. A fully devoted follower of Christ goes out of his or her way to gather with the body of Christ. I was meeting with someone recently and he observed how I had talked about our numbers were down for the summer, because it's summer, and he, not me, so you'd be mad at him, had the nerve to say, you would think, my words, a fully devoted follower of Christ would maybe cut their travel down an extra day so they can be in worship on Sunday morning. You've heard me say before, wherever you are, in Wichita or not, go gather with the body of Christ. It is a spiritual discipline. 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 You you cannot have a disciple, you cannot have the word disciple without discipline. So the preacher says, that was the parentheses of my sermon. Let me actually get to my, my manuscript now. The preacher says to his listeners in verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Be careful of what you do when you enter God's house. He, he, he reminds us that we are approaching a holy God. So Think about what you are about to do. God's house. In this, in the setting of our text, he would have been referring to the temple. The temple was the place where heaven meets earth. It's the place where God dwelled among his people. It was a visible manifestation of God's presence amongst his people. It was a visible testimony of God's absolute holiness. Now, I need to put another parenthesis in this text. Now, the intent of the author is about how we are to behave when we gather corporately in a place reserved for God. Just, I don't want you to think every time the Bible talks about temple, you can equate it to a church building. When you, when you follow the line of Scripture, you have the physical temple where God dwelled among his people, the Israelites, but then the temple becomes Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the presence of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We're just doing some biblical study real quick. Then, after Christ leaves the earth and ascends back to his father who is on the right hand, the temple is now the body of Christ. Not the physical body of Christ, but the church. The body of Christ, which is made of individuals. Where does God dwell now? In his people through the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and became a Christian, a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Christ, at the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit indwelled you. And when God indwells you, that you now become the temple. That's why you've got to be careful of how you take care of your temple. We talk about stewardship and we immediately think about money. And we need to be good stewards of our money, but we also have to be good stewards of our temple. I was just telling you about temple, but in this text, the author is talking about how we gather together in a place that is reserved for God and his people. He says, when you gather together, when you come to worship most holy God, you need to guard your steps. Watch yourself. He says, draw near to listen. Temple sacrifices were offered in silence. And silence actually shouted out. The steadfast love of a holy God for undeserving sinners. He says, when you come to God's house, come to listen to what God has to say. How do we listen to God now? Everybody wants a word from the Lord. Here's the secret to how to hear God speak. Open your Bible. God has spoken through the apostles and the prophets and he's given us a record of what God has said through the word. So if you want to hear what God has to say, open the Bible. Therefore, we are to draw near to God's house in order to listen to hear from God, that's that's why we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And you listen in order to learn, and learning is the very posture of the disciple, because at a basic rudimentary uh, a, a level, a definition of a disciple is that of a learner. The preacher, his train of thought, is that as you listen, you learn, and then you are able to offer more meaningful sacrifices to Almighty God. Now, we've got to deal with this issue of sacrifices because we've got to bridge the context. We go from then and there to here and now. Now, we don't offer literal animal sacrifices, but we are still required to sacrifice. Let me, let me state my claim. Romans 12 and 1. I urge you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. We are told through Christ. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Hebrews 13 and 6. We are commanded to not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So so we stand. Still sacrifice, not animals, but we are to be living sacrifices. And now in this New Testament age, in this time, post-time of Christ, in the age of the Holy Spirit, we we have moved or transitioned from dead sacrifices of animals to, to living sacrifices of people. And this is our spiritual act of worship. Anytime he's talking about sacrifices, the the, the Old Testament talks about sacrifices, it's talking about worship to most holy God. The preacher here in Ecclesiastes, he says that those who don't listen and worship are worshiping foolishly. Those who fail to listen, according to the preacher, are foolish. Fools bring unacceptable sacrifices to God, because the, to God because they don't know any better because they don't listen. Here, here's what foolish worship looks like. Showing up and just going through the motions rather than worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's giving God your hands but not your heart. And so he says... Be careful of how you approach God. All we're talking about is worshiping God reverently. Secondly, he says, don't speak hastily in worship. Verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to offer a word before God. We are admonished here in verse number 2 to be restrained in our speaking before God's holy presence. Why? Because we are not God. And what God has to say to us is far more important and valuable than anything we have to say to him. How do I know that? Look at the C clause of verse 2. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. It's almost like he puts us in our place. Remember where you are. And that's tied to somewhat to who you are. God's there, you here, that that, don't forget that there's distance between you and God. And distance demands difference. He's there, you're here, he's all-powerful, you're not, he's holy, you are not, you are different, he's the creator you are his creation you are different he knows better and so he can give him the space to speak rather than you we he helps us by saying that God is in heaven and we are on earth he's reminding us that we are not God's equal conversation my wife and I have with our kids all the time I do certain things they want to know but you do that why can't I do that you say that why I can't say that listen we ain't peers my room is back there your room is up there there's a distance between us I'm I'm daddy you child So when you get grown, and get a, and grown means out of my house, you can do what you want to do and say what you want to say out of my house. But as long as you're in my house, y'all, this is just old school traditional parenting. This is just me and Connie. But as long as you're in my house, don't forget that there's some distance between us. I'm parent, you're child. And, and, and when I when I was uh, growing up, and if I happened to be in the same room, with the same room with adults, the rule was to be seen, help me preach this thing, be seen and not heard. And the preacher here, he reminds us there's a distance, there's a gap. God is transcendent, and distance demands different can I give you one more parenthesis, has nothing to do with this sermon. That's why the elders of this church have said that if one of the outcomes of our gospel ministry to this community is reconciliation and community transformation, we have to be in the community because as long as there is distance, there will be difference. So he says reverent worship requires us to guard our steps or be careful of how we approach God. It requires that we don't speak hastily in worship, but it also, reverent worship requires that we keep our word. I'm not making this up. It's in the text. Verse 4 says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure and fools. Pay what you vow. Here's what verse 5 says. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Friends, the preacher is saying, when you make a covenant promise, a vow, To God and before God, you should be faithful in carrying out the terms of that covenant. Okay, let me push here. This is not something that just happened in the context of Israel, but it's something that we still do today. We make covenants today. The biggest one probably is the marriage covenant. We say vows during the marriage ceremony. We promise to remain in union until death do us part. <laughs> we promise to remain with one another in sickness and in health. For richer or for poor. It's a covenant. A vow. We make covenants when we dedicate our children back to God. We promise to raise them and instruct them in the word and the way of the Lord. We make vows as elders and deacons in the church to carry out the duties required of that office. We make vows as members of the local church. Let me say that again. We make vows, covenant agreements as members in the local church. And the preacher's word to us, whatever whatever vow you have made, keep it. Faithfully execute the duties required of that vow. If you make a pledge, Pay it. And if you don't keep your word, the preacher says, you are a fool because you lied. And now you're under God's wrathful hand. What what do you mean I'm under God's wrathful hand? How do we know that? Because the preacher says in verse 6 that if you don't fulfill your vows, your mouth has led you to sin. He says, "Keep your word." Now, here's the problem. You're probably wondering, "What in this wor- world does this have to do with worship?" I was at a uh, I was at a conference this past week, and the preacher got up there. Let me just tell you what we do in church. I've told you this before. The preacher got up there. He got up. He was talking about the theology of church multiplication, and before he got up there, he said, before I get into my message this morning on the theology of church multiplication, I want us to worship first. You see what we've done? We've reduced worship to singing. And in the life of the believer for a fully devoted follower of Christ, we don't compartmentalize our life. All of life is worship. Everything we do is worship. For the sake of review, worship is the total surrender to God of every aspect of daily life. Rewind, press play. Worship is the total surrender to God of every aspect of daily life. Tomorrow, when you show up for work, worship. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So if you're a plumber, I'm plumbing to the glory of God you're a garbage man, I'm picking up garbage to the glory of God. If you're a manager, I'm managing to the glory of God. If you're a teacher, there's a lot of y'all in here. You're teaching to the glory of God. Worship is not just something. Now, Another parenthesis, because he's talking about when we gather, I'm talking about in all of life. When, 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 when we, whatever we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday, it is to the glory of God. It's worship, which means that it's going, it's going to transform because I'm a fully devoted follower, not just a Sunday follower. Because I'm a fully devoted follower, it's going to change the way I treat my customers. I'm not going to sell them inferior products at superior prices. I'm going to be kind to the ones that think they deserve more than what they paid for because you're a fully devoted follower. That means even though these children in this classroom are getting on my last nerves, I'm still going to give them the dignity that they are due because they have been created in the image of God. Why? Because I am a fully devoted follower of Christ, not just on Sunday, not just when I'm in small group, not when I know there's other Christians around, because every day, every minute, every hour, I'm a worshiper. And when we do all these things, the preacher says, and I'm done, verse 7, when we carry out these commands, we worship God with fear. The word fear in this passage does not mean dread or terror necessarily. It means to, 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 to worship God, to approach God with reverence. It's to be in awe of him so much that it leads to a deep respect and affects my actions towards him. I honor him and worship him appropriately. When we gather together as the people of God, there are things that we should do and things we should not do. There are some preferences that we give up because worship is not about us. Worship It's all about God. Isn't it amazing that in church we sing I surrender all until it comes to our hymn and contemporary music and gospel music and style of preaching, but we surrender all. See, we, we now live in the age of McDonald's. Oh, wait a minute, that's not them. It's the Burger King. Help me preach that thing. And we want our churches to be just like Burger King. We want to have it our way. We want church to be for a certain amount of time which means that the preacher only want to be up there for about 20 minutes. I'll give him 25 if the Cowboys or the Chiefs are not playing. <laughs> Wrong church for you. We wanna have it our way. We, we, we either have a Hammond organ or an acoustic guitar, but not both, because we wanna have it our way. We have a certain expectation for the level of programming in the church. Children's ministry has to be a certain way. Nursery has to be a certain way. you got to have a spectacular youth ministry. Why? Because we've created this monster where the church is full of consumers. And it's all about what I can get out of worship. And again... I have no idea how the New Testament church would thrive in this society. I will admit, I've just taken a moment to vent. Thank you. We were not saved to consume. We were saved to serve. And serving requires humility, it requires a giving up of control and desires because you're serving at the pleasure and the will of somebody else, the master. And so now my desires and my preferences are put to the side because it's about what the master desires. And our master has said here in Ecclesiastes 5 through the priest, through the preacher, you better be careful of how you approach God when you gather together in God's house. You better draw near to listen and you better keep your word. Just because you show up on Sunday morning does not mean you are a worshiper of most holy God. The only way to worship God is through Jesus Christ Himself. It's through Jesus Christ. He is now in the temple. The, the, one, the only person that can go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, was the high priest. And even then, he only had access once a year. Our great high priest is Jesus Christ. And it is through him that we have access to the most holy God to worship him. If you desire, to be a worshiper of most holy God. The only way that worship is a pleasing aroma to most holy and almighty God is through Jesus Christ himself. Through Jesus Christ, we have access. Through Jesus Christ, he has sprinkled the blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins. You showed up here today and your greatest need is for your sin to be dealt with. And Jesus Christ has dealt with your sin penalty in full by dying on a cross for your sin. And because Jesus Christ has died for your sin, you can be forgiven. That word forgiven means to, for your debt to be canceled, to be forgiven. And now you have direct access to most holy God. Your sin creates a gulf a great distance between you and God. God is holy, we are not. Sin demands separation. Distance. And the only way for us to be reconciled back to God is through Jesus Christ, the sinless one. And so now, the response for someone to today's Before we get to even how we ought to behave when we gather together, for somebody in this room, the the response to this word today is trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to make you right with your creator. For somebody else, you're saved, you're sanctified, you know it. The response for you today is to reflect on your attitude towards worshiping most holy God. We can no longer, as the, as the preacher in this church, I can't make the same assumption that the preacher of Ecclesiastes makes. I can't assume that you know that gathering regularly is a must for a fully devoted follower of Christ. Because we now live in a day and age in the church where we go to church and shifts. One crowd comes on first and third, another one comes on second and fourth, and the fifth Sunday, if there is one in the month, it's a toss-up. We now live in an age where church attendance it's, we everybody knows it. Every pastor knows it. It goes like this: it's a roller coaster. This fall, odd numbers have been through the roof for a church of our size, as a church plant two years old. Oh, but the holidays are coming. But then y'all come back and you got to go back to school and work. Then there's summer break. Can I testify real quick? Even though I hate how Sunday attendance is like this in the church in America at large, by the way, the reason pastors really get upset or get heartache about attendance going down in the summer? Because y'all take y'all money with you. And so now giving goes down. And West Star does not go on summer break. I'm testifying. Why did you say I need to testify? Because even though our attendance went like this, our giving went like this. Why? Because that's the kind of God we serve. I say that, I say that to encourage you. And we're done. We're we're leaving. I say that to encourage you. I was sharing with somebody, my wife, I think. As a church plant, our survival odds are at thirty percent. Just by being a church plant at large, where our survival odds are thirty percent. Now they tell you so. If you're gonna plant a church with a thirty percent survival odds, at least go and plant in a church where the community can financially sustain the church I said okay I'm going to Oliver in 13 that survival odds that was 30 just now became 20 well at least plant a church if you're not going to plant it in a community that can sustain it financially at least plant one where the people are like you Okay, I'm going to go plant a multi-ethnic church. 15%. We've got some entrepreneurs in this room. Would you take that risk? Why am I telling you this, church? Because this is bigger than any of us. This is bigger than the statistics. This is bigger than the odds. We serve a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. God defies the statistics. It's called a miracle. And we, we the very basis of our faith is based on the miracle. Dead people receiving life. Let's sing. Father, thank you so much for what our eyes have seen and our ears have heard. Father, we pray that we will not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Father, I thank you for the grace of this group that allows me from time to time to go on my tangent, but they're still responsive towards it because they're listening for truth that's based on your word and not one man. God. We now leave the results up to you, the Holy Spirit. The seed has been planted. We pray for much fruit from this word. We pray that our hearts and our minds and our actions will be transformed based on the truth that we've heard today. God, help us not to just forget this as we leave here and go back into the hustle and bustle of our everyday life. But let this word go deep within us and resonate and change us and change us. We repent of making worship about us and our needs and our wants and our desires and our children. And God, help us now to focus on you, to forget about ourselves, concentrate on you and worship you. In Christ's name we pray.